Thanks for joining us for another message from Southland Church. If you'd like any information about our church, check out our website at mysouthland.com. Good morning, church. It's good to be with you this morning. And uh, did you see these little white papers? And you can just, uh, uh, you can put them aside for right now. I mean, if you want to, you can put some notes on there. Many of you come with journals or you do it, uh, or you take some notes and things uh, on laptops and so forth. And that's fine if you do that. If you didn't, you can use this. But this is primarily for an exercise we're going to do right at the end of the message. Okay? So you can just put that aside for right now. And, uh, and then we'll use, we'll use that a little bit later. All right. As you can tell... Uh, I don't look like Pastor Stefan. Um, I look better. <laughs> uh, but he's not here to hear that, so. Um, but he had knee surgery this week. And um, it happened when he did those splits last week. Do you remember that? <laughs> no, actually it happened. <laughs> he's, he's been struggling with knee issues for a long time. And they finally got him a... a a date for surgery and we're so happy about that and he had it but his leg is about twice it was about twice the size and uh, so I'm uh, I'm pinch hitting uh, so to speak uh, this morning and so uh, we're going to uh, we're going to pray right now uh, one of the things he's introduced here at Southland which I think is just an outstanding idea and I told him sometime back I said I wish I had had the idea and that was the idea of of praying together as a church right before the sermon and I just I love that idea don't you think it's a great idea and it's one of my favorite parts in the uh, in this in the service I uh, I always think it's amazing and we all all do it together and so that's a that's a beautiful hum this morning, one of the things that I'd like us to in, uh, that I'd like us to pray for, um, I'm going to make it very simple. All right, because we're in in the month of prayer and fasting, so one of the things that I'd like you to pray for, or the the thing that you can pray for, is something that is on your list because that's really dear to you. You'll see an example of it in the in the message I'm going to give. Um, of how we did that at a church that we visited and uh, we were praying for a need that was that was really burdening our hearts and maybe there's something that's really burdening your heart it's on your prayer and fasting list that's what you really want to pray for today then that's what you get to pray for isn't that cool so you get another shot at it this morning amen the second thing I'd like you to include, and maybe there's several things that uh, you want to pray for there. The second thing I'd like you to include there is a prayer for Pastor Stephan. Okay? Pastors typically don't ask for prayer for themselves. It was one of the greatest struggles I had for the 22 years I ministered here. And do you know why? Because they know so many of your struggles, and they don't want to belabor you with yours you know so now they got an issue but they know 10 or 20 or 50 people in the congregation who have worse challenges than that and here they get to stand up here and ask for prayer and the people down there don't do you see do you see what they struggle with lots of pastors struggle with this i think all pastors so he's not here so i can just say that right 
It's very, very easy. And let me encourage you with something else because he's not here. Pray much for your pastor. That should be at the top of your prayer list. Put it on your fridge. Put it, put it wherever. Uh, churches don't pray enough for their pastors. And guess what? They are the target of the enemy. Amen? That's who he's going for. I'm not saying he's not going for the rest of you. But he's very strategic in, in, in what he does. And he has taken out many, many church leaders in recent months. You know what I'm talking about. I could give you quite a list right now. I'm not going to, but I could. And he, last week, I heard him ask for prayer for that. He, he just mentioned it. It was just a quick thing as he went. And he asked for prayer. Pray that I stay true. And uh, you, you want to do that. Amen, church? That's not a pride thing. That's not saying I need it. He's not saying I need it more than the rest of you. No. Uh, but um, it's, uh, it, if we know what's good for us, we'll pray for our pastor. Amen? <laughs> amen. Amen. Okay. This is how I'd like us to do it. Uh, I'd like everybody to stand, please. You may be a visitor here. Or maybe you're not a visitor, and maybe you feel, un, you know, a little uncomfortable with this whole praying out loud. Pray silently. That's okay. And pray silently. God can hear your prayers too. Amen? You say, then why do you do it together? Do you know what? The buzz of other people praying is a huge encouragement. Isn't it? Amen? So I'd like you to really... Pray it out. Pray whatever it is that you're praying that's dear to your heart and then include healing for Pastor Stefan and for other things and his dear wife Louise and their entire family. All right? Amen. Here we go. They, the way Stefan does it is he goes three, two, one. So that's how I'll do it too. Three, two, one.
just so grateful to you that we have this avenue by which we can come into your presence and pray. We thank you that you invite us into your presence through prayer. We thank you that we can make our petitions and requests known to you through prayer. Thank you that in prayer we can receive strengthening. Thank you that in prayer we can receive empowerment. Thank you that in prayer we can uh, receive guidance and direction. Thank you for this thing called prayer. Thank you that in this, in the closet, in the prayer closet we can, we can be with you and sense your presence and be with you. Lord, it's a, it's a wonderful thing. You've called us to make our churches houses of prayer. I pray that in 2024, Southland Church would grow in the, this matter of prayer. I pray that you would hear that prayer and that desire of us, that it would be, that prayer would take, would, uh, would recover and grow beyond anything it's ever been here at Southland before. Beyond, way beyond. And uh, Lord, so that we can take on the enemy uh, in the place of prayer, in our closets, we can fight them. And so we ask you to do that. I, we ask you to speak to us now through the message from your word. And Lord, we choose to engage with it and respond to what your Holy Spirit says. In Jesus' name, and everybody agreed by saying, Amen, Amen and you may be seated. Unless you want to stand for the remainder of the message. <laughs> All right, <clears throat> we're going to talk about wake up in prayer. In Romans chapter 13, verse 11, the Apostle Paul said, And do this, understanding the present time. The hour has come for you to wake up from your slumber. And we're going to see examples of slumbering taking place with this matter of prayer in a few moments. Because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. And we're going to look at two reasons why we need to wake up and pray, pray, and then I'm going to and then I'm going to turn, I'm going to flip it over. And I'm going to answer briefly with one point on why we don't, one of the reasons why we don't see our prayers answered, okay? So, uh, there are many reasons, but from our vantage point, why don't we see them? And God says it, and we'll talk about that. So, the first uh, reason that we need to wake up in prayer is that pr uh, prayer is necessary for effective ministry. And don't think that I'm talking here just about pastoral ministry. I'm not talking about that at all, as you're going to see. I'm talking about we're all called to be ministers. Is that true? We're all ministers. We're ministers in our marriages. We're ministers with our families. We're all called to ministry. The disciples failed to help a boy who suffered greatly at the hands of a demon who would often throw him into the fire or water. And this is recorded in Matthew chapter 17, the story. It's also in Mark. And uh, so the desperate father sought out Jesus and asked him to help. Before casting out the demon and healing the boy, Jesus rebuked the disciples. <laughs> You'd think the first thing he would do is get rid of the demon. The first thing he did was rebuked the disciples. And he said, oh, unbelieving and perverse generation, 
Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? I want you to imagine this for a moment. If one of, if one of you went to Pastor Stephan and said, we've been trying to drive out a demon from one of our kids, or we've been trying to drive out a demon in one of our small groups, or something like that, and by the way, that's a real situation, and there's real situations like that in our church right now. The demonic spirit world is very, very real. Do you believe that? Yeah, absolutely. The reason you can't get your kids to change is because they're fighting demonic spirits. There's a spirit world. We'll get to that in a moment. But anyway, suppose that one of you went to Pastor Stefan and you said, I tried, and uh, I tried to drive the demon out, but I couldn't do it. Do you think that Pastor Stefan would rebuke you and say, you unbelieving perverse person, what's the matter with you? Is that what he would do? Or would he say, good try? <laughs> That's what we say nowadays, right? Good try. Jesus rebuked them. That should get our attention. Why would he do that? Because was Jesus kind and gracious? Let me ask you that question. Yes, he was. So why is he rebuking them when they tried? When they were in private, the perplexed disciples asked him, why couldn't we drive him out? Or the demon. And Jesus replied, because you have so what? Little faith. I tell you the truth, if you have faith as small or little as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible. I may talk a little bit about faith next week, but people are really confused about faith. But um, it seems like this is a paradox. This is a contradiction from Jesus. He says, first of all, that because they have little faith, they couldn't exercise the demon, get, drive him out. And then he turns right around and he says that if they had small or little faith, they would be able to drive out the demon. So which is it? <laughs> what is Jesus getting at? Well, first of all, we know the problem wasn't that it wasn't God's will. So sometimes people say, well, the reason they couldn't be, it wasn't God's will. Yes, it was God's will. That's why Jesus was upset at them. They should have driven out the demon. In fact, it's always God's will to get rid of demons. Amen? Evil spirits? Huh? In your home? Yes, it's always God's will. Number two. The problem wasn't that they didn't step out in faith. The problem was that they tried, but it didn't work. <laughs> so sometimes people say, well, if you just stepped out in faith. They did, but it didn't work. Third, the problem wasn't that the quantity of their faith wasn't enough. There wasn't enough faith in their faith cup. That wasn't the issue. The disciples had often exercised demons and they expected this one to leave too. Mark says that in chapter 6. He says they, the speaking of the disciples, drove out how many demons? 
many demons, yet this one didn't leave. And that surprised them and upset Jesus. They were surprised and Jesus was upset. That leaves us only one other option. It wasn't the quantity of their faith. It could have, if he's speaking of the faith, it can't have anything to do with the quantity of faith. We've eliminated the possibilities. So it could only be the what? The quality of their faith. So, for example, sometimes we say little man. You know, he's a little man. Well, we could mean little in terms of, of, of his stature, little in inches. You know, it doesn't have many inches or centimeters. Or, uh, or we, we could uh, talk of some uh, man being little if he mistreats women, right? He's a little man. The way he mistreats women or mistreats his family. Similarly, one is quantity, one is quality. Similarly, little faith can be little in quantity or it can be little in quality. Jesus said that the disciples had a defective or poor quality of faith. But what does that mean? In Mark's telling of this story, though he included the fact that Jesus was upset that the disciples didn't cast out the demons, both, in both stories, you, you, can, you can go and read it, he's upset. But in Mark's telling of the story, he did not mention that it was due to their little or defective faith. He didn't say that. Rather, in Mark's telling of the story, he says that Jesus implied that the reason they couldn't exercise the demon was due to their lack of prayer. For he said, this kind can come out only by what? And then some Greek manuscripts also, or a couple of them do, they also include and fasting. The reason they couldn't cast out the demon, according to Matthew, is because of their defective faith, Jesus said. And in Mark's telling the story, the reason that they couldn't get rid of the demon was because of a lack of prayer. A defective faith or a lack of prayer. Jesus wasn't contradicting himself here. Sometimes people look at those kinds of things. Hey, see, there, there's a contradiction in the Bible. Not at all. Not at all. He wasn't contradicting himself. He was equating a defective faith with prayerlessness. That's what he was doing. Let's flesh that out a little bit. Mark tells us another story in chapter 1 that is very revealing. In Mark chapter 1, it, it says, Very early in the morning when it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place and what? Prayed. He went off to pray. And then it goes on to say, Simon and his companions went to look for him after a while, and they found him and explained, everyone's looking for you. It's notable that when Mark says Jesus got up early to go out and pray, he doesn't mention that the disciples did the same. Presumably, they slept in. Why couldn't the disciples cast out the demon? Though they had faith, their faith was a deficient one because it had subtly shifted from faith 
in God's sufficiency to a faith in their own personal sufficiency. We've got it. I don't need to pray. Let me see. Uh, 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 they had the gift of, uh, of casting out demons. They had the techniques down. They knew the formula. They had the expertise and experience. How hard can this be? We've done this before. We know all the steps. They came to believe that the ability to minister was inherent in them. We know how to do this. They no longer depended on God, but on themselves. And that's what upset Jesus so much. This was Christianity 101. Trust in God. Don't trust in horses and chariots. Don't trust in yourself, but trust in God. And they failed the most basic test in Christianity, which is trust in God. That's why he was upset. He wasn't upset because they failed a complex issue. He was upset that they failed a basic Christian issue. Does that make sense? That's why he was upset. Let's see how this works with Christian leaders. I've preached 500 sermons. I, I'm not saying I have, but that's what a pastor might say. How hard can this be? Just one more. I've led the board and staff and church and direction and vision for many years. I'm good at it. I know what I'm doing. How hard can this be? I've discipled and set many people free. How hard can this be? I'll just do another one. Sounds like a lot of Christian parents. I've got enough money to keep my children out of harm's way by putting them in sports or taking them traveling with me wherever I go around the world. I'll send them to a Christian school. By the way, none of these things are bad. <laughs> Preaching sermons isn't bad either. I'll send them to a Christian school. I'll apply all the techniques of a good parenting course. I know what I'm doing. I've got this covered. And so we skimp on what? Prayer. And that upsets Jesus. And then the devourer, the enemy who comes to steal, kill, and destroy your souls, your lives, your children, your churches, comes against us. And you rise to take them on, and like Samson, you don't realize that the Spirit of the Lord has left you. God said to Samson, don't cut your hair, or you'll lose, you'll lose the power. He cut his hair and lost God's power. God says, Jesus says, pray without ceasing. And then we skimp on prayer and don't realize that the spirit has disappeared. He's not there. And everything we hope to conquer in our families and in our churches doesn't work because the spirit of God isn't in it. And it's because we failed Christianity 101.
the most basic thing. Confidence in self rather than in programs and ideas and training and everything else rather than in God, which comes through prayer. So we're not filled with the Spirit because we haven't connected to the vine through prayer. We have no inherent power with which to fight the enemy. None. You, you can't fight Satan with sticks and stones and programs and degrees and training and experience. You can't bear fruit apart from him. Amen? Charles Spurgeon, and this was sent to me yesterday... All our libraries, I don't know if it's up, oh boy, those guys are good. I gave them this, to, <laughs> this particular quote just seconds before the service. They are really good. Thank you, team. Um, all our libraries and studies are mere emptiness compared with our closets. He's talking about prayer closets. We grow, we wax mighty, we prevail in private prayer. That's where it happens. That's where we win the battles. Amen? Thank you, team. Jesus clearly teach, teaches this truth. He said, I'm the vine, you're the branches. If a man remains in me, in the prayer closet, and I in him, he will bear much fruit apart from me. You can't do anything. Nothing. Nada. We can't accomplish a thing because we're dealing with an enemy. And that is what Jesus was getting at. And that is why he was so upset. Fruitfulness and ministry in our personal lives comes from abiding through prayer. Self-sufficiency is the death knell of the Christian and the church. And when we spend time in prayer, we are filled with the Holy Spirit so that when we leave our times of prayer, we take God along with us in our personal and ministry lives. Amen? And he goes with us, and we can't see it. When the Israelites would go out to war against their enemies, they would say this, let God arise and let his enemies be scattered. They would pray that. And then as they would march, he would go ahead of them and defeat their enemies. And when God goes with us, great things happen. Amen. Great things happen. In Acts 10, 38, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus, by the way, he modeled this for us. He was anointed uh, with the Holy Spirit and power and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. Yes, that's it. Andrew Murray said, when I work, I work. When I pray, God works. He didn't mean by that, by the way, that you don't, you know, you pray or you work. No. It's both. But when you pray, and then you go about doing what you're supposed to do, God wins the battle. True? Because there's a real spiritual enemy behind it. There are spiritual forces aligned against the church and against the Christian. And they're very, very busy. Isaiah said the same thing. And he, he put it this way. He said, all that we have accomplished, in other words, you're doing something, you have done for us. And that's why Jesus prayed so much. 
Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. I want to share a story that relates to Pastor's, uh, Pastor Stephen's salvation story <clears throat> that you are very familiar with, and to the point Jesus made about why the disciples couldn't exercise the demon. Uh, as he has mentioned, uh, Fran and I, we fasted and prayed. Others fasted and prayed too for us, but we fasted and prayed every week for two years, including a 14-day stretch. And on August the 1st, 2004, at a Sunday service at CLA, which is Christian Life Assemblies in Langley, British Columbia, Fran and I were there on a study leave, working, but on Sunday we went to church, and uh, it was a large church, and the pastor, Brent Cantillon, at the time, he invited us to slip to our knees because a, a missionary that, uh, that they, was very dear to that congregation was dying of cancer. And so he invited the congregation to all slip to their knees in that large auditorium and pray for this missionary. Well, Fran and I didn't know this missionary, and so we slipped to our knees, but to our minds came the thing that was the highest on our list. Remember what I said before. And so we immediately went to prayer for Stefan. And um, after the service was over, we're walking out uh, out the door to the parking lot to our vehicle and Fran said I got to talk to you when I, when I slipped to my knees I had a vision and the vision was of um, many ghost like creatures swirling around him and he was trying to fight them off and he couldn't do it but they were all also somehow attached to him kind of like leeches and, uh, and then the Holy Spirit uh, said to her, as you are praying, and she could see that these ghost-like creatures, these demonic spirits is what they were, as we prayed, though they were, they, they were sucking hard and, and attached very, very tightly, as we prayed, they were being stretched off. You can, can you picture it? And, and, and they, were, they were being pulled away. But it was a struggle because they were hanging on. And, 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 and as we prayed, they were letting go. And um, the vision greatly encouraged us to double down on our prayers. And 24 days later, on August the 25th, Stefan was saved. It's powerful. It's, it's not just a, a gospel story. It's, there's, a, there's actual spiritual warfare going on. There's spiritual warfare going on at your business. There's spiritual warfare going on in the schools. There's spiritual warfare happening in your homes and in your families and in your marriage. There's a spiritual warfare uh, uh, taking place at all times. Paul's, I, I mean, think about it. The disciples were dealing with demons. Jesus was empowered by the Holy Spirit. And so that he could heal everybody that was under the power of the devil. Uh, we were fighting demons when praying for a Pastor Stephen's salvation. And Paul, the Apostle Paul said, we're fighting very real and very evil spirit enemies. He said, for our struggle is what? Not against flesh and blood. If you think, and, and the reason he's saying this is, uh, he, he, we often take it as an enemy. You know, they're not, our enemy isn't the flesh and blood. Well, that's true. Uh, partially, it, it is that. But, it, but it, what he's saying is the real fight is, 
in the spirit realm. And then he goes on and he, he, he lists it. Uh, he, he says it's against the authorities, against uh, or the rulers, authorities, powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And for that, you and I need prayer and fasting. Amen? It's that simple. And that difficult. And that difficult. Fran and I have a long uh, prayer and fasting list, <laughs> like the rest of you. We've got just as many needs as you do. And uh, this past night, the Holy Spirit woke Fran at 1 a.m. to pray, as he often does. And he gave her a vision for several of our mutual prayer items. All right, not only is prayer necessary for effective ministry to change lives, but prayer... And fasting is necessary to withstand temptation. Jesus depended on, on prayer and fasting to fight Satan's temptations. For example, in the wilderness, uh, Jesus faced three powerful temptations from the devil. That's spiritual warfare, amen? Again, we're talking about everything that Jesus was dealing with. It was spiritual warfare, and so did the disciples and the apostles. So are we fighting uh, in a war. Matthew chapter 4, verse 1, Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the what? Who tempts us? Yes, the devil. What did he do? What did Jesus do in preparation for this great test? Ta test? The very next verse says he was fasting and praying 40 days and 40 nights. However, the greatest temptation that Jesus faced was not in the wilderness. It was though that was great. It was in Gethsemane. And uh, knowing that he was going to be put to death shortly, so he told his disciples that he was going to pray. And uh, he said to them, my soul is, what's the word? Overwhelmed. Hang on to that word because it's a very popular word today. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me, uh, which means to pray. Tremendous stress and agony and overwhelm. In fact, it says in one passage, I didn't put it here, but that the, the anguish was so great that he sweat great drops of blood, right? Here Satan would throw the greatest temptation of, of all at him to not go to the cross. That's why he prayed. We know that that was the temptation because he prayed, Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will but yours be done. The reason he was praying that was because that was the temptation. His exhaustion, anguish, temptation from the devil was so strong that he went into the presence of his father through prayer and the father responded by Taking it away? By what? Strengthening him for what he was about to go through. It says, an angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. The result was that he passed the test and went to the cross with eyes wide open. That is one of the great purposes for prayer and fasting. Yes, we pray and fast so that when we minister, when we pray for people, God does work. He battles our enemy. He rises up and he battles 
against those spiritual forces that we in our human flesh can't do alone. But he also strengthens us for the battle. He also strengthens us for the battle. Let's contrast that with the disciples. Jesus had asked the disciples to pray with him in the Garden of Gethsemane, and when he returned, he found them sleeping. Now, when he rose from prayer and went back to the disciples, he found them asleep, exhausted from sorrow. Why were they sleeping? I want to ask you this question. Was it because they were lazy, carnal disciples? Oh, those those lousy rascals, those disciples. Carnal as sin. Is that why? No, not at all. The disciples also were in complete overwhelm. Jesus was overwhelmed. Don't you think the disciples had a right to be in overwhelm for the test they were about to face? Yeah. They weren't facing the same thing he was going to face, obviously. But they were overwhelmed. They were exhausted with sorrow. They didn't like what he was telling them was going to happen because he had told them what would happen. Understanding that they were exhausted, how did Jesus respond to them? By saying, I get it. You're in complete overwhelm and exhausted. Get some sleep. Is that what he said? No. They were in complete overwhelm and exhausted, and he says, watch with me. Pray. Why? Because he knows that's where they will get the strength they're going to need for what's coming. They wanted to sleep off their problems. I don't know. I'm one of those. Uh, uh, my, my wife said that about me for, for 50 years. I don't think I do it anymore, but I used to. If there was a problem between us, I'd just like to go to sleep. That's not how to handle it. They were overwhelmed. I get it. I'm not, uh, I'm not being critical of them. Because this I get. I can I identify it. And they weren't carnal. He knew they were going to face that test. And if they didn't get into the presence of the Father through prayer, he knew they would fail. Once again, the disciples exhibited a defective faith, the faith of self-reliance or self-sufficiency. You say, but they were tired. Yes. So they thought that they could handle it. I'll just get some sleep, and the sleep will give me the strength to do it. That's self-sufficiency. Listen to what Jesus had warned Peter just a few verses earlier. He said that Satan intended to tempt him. He said, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. In fact, Jesus even forewarned Peter what the temptation would be. I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times that you know me. He even told Peter what the temptation or trial was going to be. In other words, Peter was not blindsided at all. And... Um, In fact, Jesus, uh, yeah, he, he, he told him that. See Peter's self-sufficient uh, self confidence in the place of such a warning. Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison and to death. He had every 
intent to do the right thing. His motives were pure and clear. But the problem was self-sufficiency. Self-sufficiency. He, he thought he had enough strength because he knew it was coming. He had enough strength. He could pull this off. And Jesus says, I'll tell you what the problem is. I'll tell you what the trial is. I'll tell you what you're going to face. And, you're, and I'm going to tell you, you're still not strong enough to face it. So Jesus warned Peter and the disciples explicitly, telling them that they weren't strong enough. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. I know your intent. Spirit is willing. I know your intent is good. Jesus is not in attacking intent here. And lots of Christians have the right intent and the motive. But he's saying, wake up. You're not strong enough to take on the spirit world. Amen? Because we're not fighting flesh and blood. We're fighting the spiritual forces of evil. So you can't fight it like that. So he says, watch Wake up. Church, this is a warning that our good intentions aren't enough to face Satan's temptations and trials ahead. And Jesus advises us how to avoid them through prayer. Listen, our prayer life is a measure of our self-sufficiency and confidence to handle problems, trials, and temptations. Pray a little, and it, it tells you how much self-sufficiency you have. Lots. But you're no match for those spiritual forces. No match, and neither am I. It is also a predictor of whether you will withstand those trials and tests that come. Which is why Charles Spurgeon said, and this was used, the other one I was sent yesterday, I won't say who sent it, but this one um, by Charles Spurgeon was used uh, by Eric and Chris Carr, this at the Sunrise Prayer Summit. By the way, that was amazing, wasn't it? They did a great job with that, too. That was just phenomenal. I enjoyed every se second of it. Nine times out of ten, falling away from God begins in the neglect of private prayer. That's it. Show me somebody who falls away, and I'll show you somebody that quit praying. That's what Charles Spurgeon is saying nine out of ten times. That's the issue. Wow. That's because we're dealing with spiritual forces. Did the disciples pray? No, again, they slept and they, miserably, and they failed miserably. All of them deserted Jesus, and Peter denied the Lord three times, just as Jesus had warned. Think about it. Jesus was overwhelmed, and when he prayed, he overcame. The disciples were overwhelmed and exhausted. They slept and they failed. See? They failed even though Jesus told them specifically what would happen. Even then, they weren't strong enough for that. 
That's incredible. When Christians become self-confident, they quit praying. Do you know what self-sufficient confidence is? Pride. It's just another word for pride. It is the most insidious form of pride because you are unaware that you have it. Boasting says, I did it myself. And we all hate that, amen? <laughs> oh, we hate it when somebody boasts. I'm so good. I'm better than everybody else. Well, what we're saying is, I did it myself. But prayerlessness says, I can do it myself. It's the same thing. It's the same thing. No amount of natural abilities, gifts, training, intellect, expertise, education, and experience is sufficient. Jesus said, apart from me, you and I can do nothing. Listen, I can predict. I can predict. If you want me to look into the future and tell you whether Southland is going to become really great again, I can predict it. I'll just watch the prayer summits. I can predict it. It is that predictable. A lot of prayer. This church will be great and powerful. Little prayer, very little will happen. You should be very thankful you have a pastor who is desperately trying to lead in prayer. And I, he would never tell you this, but I can say it. So don't tell him I said it, okay? He prays much. He gets up very early in the morning and he prays much. Church, follow his lead. Become a house of prayer. Amen? Then you will be you will become great in the kingdom. I don't mean great amongst everybody else. I mean great in the kingdom. And you will push back the powers of darkness. Amen? That's how you do it. On your knees. On the knees. That's why he had knee surgery. <laughs> Amen? <laughs> Wear out the carpets in your house. Amen? With your knees. So why does God not answer our fasting and prayers? You say, well, I got prayer covered in my life. I'm praying. Then let me ask you this. Do you obey God's word? Do you deal with sin in your life? Israel asked why God hadn't heard their fasting and prayer, and Pastor Stephen pointed that out in his excellent sermon last week. Why have we fasted and you haven't noticed? Why have we humbled and you haven't noticed? And then he says in verse 4, you fast with contention and strife. Like he has a whole list of sin issues there. And that's not my point here because I'm, I'm about to wrap up the sermon. But I just felt like I needed to add this piece in here. Though it's kind of almost an aside in the message. But it's critical. And I talked to our pastors, my church renewal pastors about it this week. Sexual sins are deadly and are causing many leaders and saints to fall. But what is destroying many more, including spiritual giants, is offense. 
offense. Somehow we think that when someone says that so-and-so offended them, that it is legitimate to hold on to that. It isn't. First of all, not every offense is a legitimate offense. <laughs> Jesus gave a bunch of parables, and the people left, and it says <laughs> they took offense at him. Is it legitimate to be offended at Jesus? Yes or no? No. Not every offense and when he's working through his leaders, maybe you disagree with something that board or staff elders do or something or say or whatever. But if they, if they pray and they do it in harmony, even if you disagree and you say, well, I'm offended. That's not real offense. That means you got a problem that they aren't the problem. You have a problem. Is that true? I'm, uh, by the way, I'm, I'm not one of the pastors here. I'm in the same church as you are. I got to put up with the same leaders you do. <laughs> I'm on the same side of the fence as you now. <laughs> Second, we judge motives, which Jesus forbids us to do. In Matthew chapter 7, 1, do not judge. For the measure you judge, you will be judged. Have you ever reacted to something your spouse or friend said because you thought they meant such and such by it? And then uh, when, you, when you calm down long enough and you ask them, that's never happened in our relationship, has it? And then I say, I calm down and then I say, and then she explains what she meant and I go, oh my goodness. I thought she was saying this and thus. Has that ever happened to you? Do you know what's the number one reason why people leave churches? Offense. Sean, and if, if you don't believe me, Sean McDowell wrote it in his book, Set Adrift. <laughs> That's the number one reason. I ask pastors, how many people have, how many of you have had people leave your church? They all raised their hands. I said, how many left? Be, uh, how many have left because they they were offended? Pfft, lots. Listen, I'm not worried about people who have left churches. I'm worried about you, who are here, because you are going to get offended. I guarantee it. it. Happens in your marriages, does it? Huh? Yeah. Happens in your families. Huh? Yeah. That's good, eh? The way I did that. Huh? <laughs> Expect that it'll happen here. I used to say that at every membership Sunday. I'd turn around and I'd, pro I'd say, I promise you one thing. Do you remember that? Yeah. And then I'd say, I promise that we will offend you. They couldn't believe it. Because <laughs> that's the only thing that's sure. And then I asked this question, what will you do with it? Jesus says, even if it's real, we have to forgive. Because if we do not forgive, then our Heavenly Father will not forgive us.
Jesus. That's a quote, not from Charles Spurgeon, but from Jesus. Is it true? If he doesn't forgive you, guess what that means? He doesn't hear and answer your prayers either. You can fast and pray. That's what Isaiah was getting at there. You fast with contention and strife. He don't forgive. And don't think you're going to get answers to prayer. Amen? I can't. I, I'm in the same boat as you. Say, Ray, if you're not going to forgive, then you may as well go to the keg and eat a steak. Forget the fasting. Amen? I mean, hello? Is that true? Yeah. So it's really, uh, really, really important that we, that, we've, that we forgive. And Luke tells us how. Luke 6. Love your enemies. That, that, here's the formula. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. And pray for those who mistreat you. So here, I'm going to give you a little bit of time right now. Take out your little pieces of paper. And we're going to do practicum one. And here's what I would suggest. If you, so it's going to go up on the screens, I think, in just a moment. Yeah, there it is. Take a, take a photo of that because you can take it with you, okay? And I'm going to have a second practicum. We're probably not going to have time for it, which is fine, but we'll go to the first. Well, okay, if, yeah, we'll, we'll get to the second one yet. Take a photo of that and then begin to work on it now, okay? I'll just pray for you and then begin to work on it now. Confess self-sufficient. Well, you see it. You see the steps. We probably won't uh, get to going through practicum two, but that I was fully prepared for that. It's not a mistake because it'll take more time. So once we're done with this, then I'll ask them to put on the practicum two and you can take a photo of it and take it home with you. Okay, is that fair? Or you can write it down. Holy Spirit, I just ask you to speak to us now about this. And uh, help us to be honest with you in our, in our prayer and our listening to you as we do our exercise now. In Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead.
right, we're going to go to the uh, second practicum. And this one, if you want, just take a picture of it or write it down. But ask the Lord, what debt do you still want to have exacted? Because you might be saying, oh, I, I, forg I forgave. I just, I just say it and I forgive. But let me ask you a couple of questions. Do you ever say, I've forgiven this person and uh, you don't know why they keep coming up back to your mind? Does that ever happen to you? <laughs> it sure happened to me in the past. I learned what that meant. Or how about this? Do you ever find yourself saying, if only they'd just admit that they did such, such and such, that's all I want. And you haven't forgiven. Or do you avoid them or hide in the church or use different entrances? That, that is the debt that you're still demanding payment for. Confess your unforgiveness. And here's three things. This is out of Luke, uh, out of Luke that we saw, Luke 6, 27 to 28. You can write it down if you like. But those three things come straight out of Luke chapter 6, verse 27 to 28. Do something good for the person. Bless the person. In other words, say something pleasant to them and pray for the person every single day. You say, what would you pray for? The same thing that you would want God to do for you. Same thing. Amen? So this one will take a little, this one's going to take more time. And you may not even be finished your first one. That's fine. That's totally fine. It's just kind of get us going, you know, prime the pump. Then take this with you and make that your devos this week. Amen? Lord, I thank you for the work, the deeper work that you're doing in our church. You're getting to those hidden things, those things which we wouldn't have, well, we wouldn't have thought about them ourselves. But your Holy Spirit has a way of, of dividing between the bone and marrow. We, it gets right down to the heart of things. Thank you, Lord, for that. Thank you that you love us that much. Thank you that you modeled for us how to live the Christian life. And today, in this month of prayer and fasting, called by the pastors of this church, we commit ourselves anew to prayer and fasting the remainder of this month, but also in this coming year, so that we can fight against the forces of evil that war against our souls and the souls of our loved ones and friends. Help us in this matter. Strengthen us as we are in prayer. For it's in Christ's name we pray. And everybody agreed by saying, Amen. Amen.